Now you're violating my image rights. I call it affectionate narcissist. Hi, Laura. How are you? No, you should be getting money more regularly than that. Yeah, like I said, I'm happy to give you free legal advice. That's why I gave you my card. It's no bother. to episode 110 of the Talk of the Street, an unofficial Coronation Street catch-up podcast I can think of nothing more pleasant than having a stroll with Elon, Arthur and Roy along the Rochdale Canal. I'm Gavin. And I love you. Mucho, mucho amor. What? I watched the uh, Walter Mercado documentary after you went to bed, so I'm, I'm, I'm feeling very much like an androgynous Puerto Rican um, fortune teller. I literally have no clue what you're talking <laughs> no, about. No, you don't, and it's adorable. <laughs> they did show Walter Mercado in the UK when he was on TV occasionally. Did they? Yeah, apparently. That's what they said in the documentary. They showed him in Spain and in the UK and all of South America and all of North America. And, and who was he? He was, uh, he was this uh, fortune teller. Who would who would get on TV and then and read the the horoscope for every sign, and he wore these huge, massive, elaborate capes, and he had these long, flowing blonde locks, and he looked very much like, you know, a shorter David Bowie. We, we've got off to a rocky start. I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> I don't know who would recover from this. Anyway, mucho, mucho amor. Documentary on Netflix. Go watch it. It's it's fascinating. I don't know what rabbit hole I had this week. I watched, obviously, quite a bit of Lemmy. You did? Obviously. I'm watching quite a bit of David Earl playing cricket, and that's currently on in, one of the screens in, fact, in the room. In fact, you were neglecting your quarry duties to watch Lemmy last oh, night. Oh, God, I didn't watch quarry until... I finished watching Corey before you finished watching Corey, and that never happened. It must have been round about midnight, mustn't it? Must be close to it. I kind of lost track of time. I got, <laughs> I got carried away watching. I don't know, because you didn't come out and say, all right, I'm done, I'm going to bed, and, and give me a smooch. You just went to bed, so I don't know when it was. I hate oh, it when you do that. Oh, I think you were in the I bathroom. Come, you, you do because, that to me all the because time. Because I came in, and I'm like, oh, he's not in the office anymore. Where did he go? And you're upstairs snoring. <laughs> yeah. Oh, well. Oh, well. How are you this week? If that's the only complaint I have about our marriage, we're doing okay. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> How are you this week? Ugh, my allergies have been just awful. We've had... Uh, it's been so hot. A bit of a heat wave for the last couple of weeks. It's been over 90 degrees for, mm-hmm. I think, the last like 10 days or something. And then there was this almighty thunderstorm. Yes. A couple of nights ago. Yes. Temperatures just dropped by 20 degrees and it's so much more pleasant now. And, and yesterday it was just all rain all the time. Mm-hmm. And, and that's that kind of got all the... fantastic, yeah. An awful lot of the mosquitoes in the yard are... Are coming back thankful up. And they just love my legs. 
Well, you Mojito. do have nice legs. Very sexy. Mojito. Yes. So, yeah. I have these little bracelets for for mosquitoes that are supposed to be They don't away. work. They fool you. Oh, there's always a sucker coming along to buy a r- mosquito repellent bracelet. <laughs> Another one every minute. They don't work. The sprays don't work. Nothing works. <laughs> when Stella and I were camping, we had the bracelets on and we'd sprayed ourselves. And I'd used like the fogger for the area around the picnic table. And we had a citronella candle. And we had a campfire going, which the smoke is should keep the mosquitoes away. And she still got bit. She's like me. She's like you. I don't know why you guys are so sweet to the mosquitoes. I think it's, it's blood type, I think, isn't it? Well, I think they smell the blood type. Stelly has the particularly. same. Stelly has the same blood type I do. Oh, does she? Yeah, you you typically it have doesn't a, always work that way. Yeah, I know, but typically it does. It's very rare when it doesn't happen. Hmm. So, I don't know. I don't think I had the same blood type as my mum. My mum had quite a rare blood type. I don't, and she, I don't know what it she is. She O. She was something rhesus negative, yeah. which I don't even know if that's a thing or she was just making it up. But well, it's A negative or A positive or B negative or B positive. She was something, I'm sure it was rhesus negative, I think. I might have to look that up if I can be bothered. I can't be bothered. You can't be bothered. I don't know what blood type I am. I just know it's, it's common. <laughs> that's all I know. And again, this is based on what my mum told me. Hmm. I think I think <clears throat> food has a lot to do with it too. Like supposedly, my, if you, my blood type. No, no, mosquitoes. Like if you eat a lot of certain foods, it's supposed to keep them away. Well, we eat the same stuff. Yeah. By and large. Maybe it's the beer. Stelly's not a big beer drinker. <laughs> <laughs> She's more a. Uh, She's more of uh, not even root beer. She's more of vodka cranberry girl. <laughs> <laughs> Give me another vodka cranberry, Mister Gav. <laughs> I don't know what that was. <clears throat> we call that a Cape Cotter. That's it. Yeah. Huh. That's that's what I that's what I used to drink at Abies. Only nobody nobody knew that it was called a Cape Cotter out here. No. So. I would just say vodka and cranberry juice. And and she would bring it to us. What's her name? Dawn. Dawn. She's so good. She's like the best bar maid ever. We went there kind of on and off a couple of summers ago. Mm-hmm. And then you wouldn't go for the longest time. As you slip, don't really drink much. As you slip your drink. And That's coffee, though. And then when you did go, like a year later, she still remembers what you drank. I know. And your name. Mm-hmm. She's great. She's great. She's great. They're we all great. They're all, yeah, no. Abies is, Abies is like the cheers of, of our wee town. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where everybody knows your name. That's true. And they're also always glad you came. Mm-hmm. What's up, Gav? My nipples are freezing out there. <laughs> Etc. 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 Well, I think this is enough prime banter for I think so for too. everyone. 
Shall we preamble? I think we peaked at Stelly drinking vodka cranberry. I wouldn't call that a peak <laughs> as such, but let's move on. Shall we preamble, my dear? Yes, please. Give us some of that alcoholic coding news. New cast alert. Who? Corey Swipes, another EastEnders alum, as Nicola Duffett joins the soap as Yasmin's cellmate. Nicola played Debbie Bates on Double E and was tragically killed off in an accident. Double E, is that what we're calling EastEnders? That's what I call it. Nobody else calls it I don't it think that. anybody else has ever has ever called it double E. I'm going to try to make that a thing. Do you think that's going to catch on from a Coronation Street podcast? You never know. I'm going to take a guess. <laughs> I'm going to make it a thing. Double E was born and dies today. Oh, you stop. <laughs> Our favorite IRL Corey couple, Joe Dettine and Sally Carmen, celebrated... Being an item for two years last month. Is that two years already? Yeah. Well, it has, it's not two years since they've been engaged because they got engaged during lockdown, but they've been dating for oh, two years. Oh, okay. Appearing on Lorraine this week, Sally revealed they didn't even like each other to begin with. Also, Joe is a ginger, which Gav knew and I did not. And probably everybody in the world knew and I did not. Yep. I didn't know until he grew a beard. And I'm like, oh my God, he's ginger. So many ginger members of this cast. Doesn't make him a bad person. No. No. Some of Maybe. my some Maybe. of some of my best friends are ginger. <sighs> what? But all lives matter in that, isn't it? <laughs> Carrying on. <laughs> Colson Smith is back to the gym this week, which at first worried me, but his local has put equipment outside and spaced well apart. So that's fine. It's all fine. Everything's fine. Everything's fine. They put equipment outside? Yeah, it's on a tennis court. They put like uh, an exercise bike and, you know, a mini trampoline and, and the, the walkie thing that we have in the basement that we never use. What is that? Treadmill. Treadmill. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you bought for some reason and then just let it sit there. So that we could exercise in the wintertime. And I'm I'm actually I have it cleared off and I, I just need to to attach the handlebars to it. It's not electric though, is it? It's just Yeah a, it is. Is it? Yeah. Oh. And that's Corey News. <laughs> in a previous life I had a treadmill. In fact I think I had two treadmills. I spent quite a bit of money on both of them and they eventually just became close horses. Yeah. Which is kind of the way of exercise equipment. I think it's yeah. it's made with high and close of it in mind. Mm -hmm. Yeah, this is a great treadmill, but when people come to hang clothes off it, mm -hmm. make sure there's something sticking out that they can put. That's why I would never. Do, this is why I would never like buy a Peloton or something because I'm not going to spend like thousands of dollars on something that eventually will not be used. The thing about the Peloton is. <clears throat> you have to get special shoes for it that are designed for you. For riding a bike? Because uh -huh. they plug into the pedal. They they become attached to the pedal. So you can't wear just regular shoes on it. And you have to pay, I think it's 30 bucks a month to get the, the streaming... Mm -hmm exercise routine thing that's right. live 
So you have to do it at a certain time. It costs you a certain amount of money. And you have to wear special shoes. It's just got inconvenience written all over it. Yeah. But it, it's, it looks kind of cool, though. <laughs> <laughs> Our mailbag, there was not so much mailbag, but the biggest news of the week was having over 170 likes on Twitter for a tweet about Jane dancing, which also seemed to lead to around 20 new followers on Twitter. Woohoo! So what are we up to now? Uh, 5.23, I think. Something like that. It kind of shot up. Hindsight Corner. A bloop, 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 bloop. Do rats carry rabies? Yes. Well, it's you against the CDC then, Helen, because... Oh, really? According to them, small rodents like squirrels, hamsters, guinea pigs, gerbils, chipmunks, rats and mice are almost never found to be infected with rabies and have not been known to transmit it to humans. I'm happy, however, to confirm that rats are indeed mammals. Yes. That's weird because bats can give you rabies. Bats famously do, yeah. Yes. I mean, we wouldn't have the the excellent Stephen King novel and movie, movie Cujo. Cujo. Without bats carrying rabies to lovable St. Bernard's. <laughs> that poor dog. That poor dog. I know possums don't carry rabies because possums are awesome. Possums don't carry rabies and they eat all the ticks and stuff in your yard and everything so they help keep down Lyme disease as well possums are great I love possums remember that time a possum walked across our and patio and you said holy shit what the fuck is that <laughs> it was you... like a as big as a badger <laughs> it was fucking massive and t- to be fair that particular possum was rather terrified it was like an old kind of scraggly possum i think he lived under our porch because the people who lived here before us were possums were no they were snowbirds so they only lived here in the summertime Mm -hmm. so for the majority of the year this house was unoccupied so i think the possum had a really nice cushy life living under that porch right until we moved in with a dog and four cats (laughs) and then he said i'm fucking off out of here it was pissing down the rain so it was drenched. Yeah. And I, th- I thought it was its belly was full of babies. It just looked swollen. Either from really, food I thought or it being pregnant. Thin. Oh, no. Well, we have different frames of reference, I guess, for, for possums. But it, <laughs> I'm looking at it through the patio door and I'm telling the kids to, to get away. <laughs> Move away. Move to safety. As this thing just plodded through the... To the patio. Mm-hmm. Yikes. Anyway. Anyway. Possums. They're awesome. <laughs> did Alina <laughs> win Best Newcomer at the British Soap Awards last year? No. No? It was our Emma. Alexandra Mardell what won it. Oh. Well, Alina, that's better. Alina wasn't even nominated. What I did th- she win? She did win something. like. I think we were thinking about the Inside Soap Awards, which Alina also didn't win, but she was nominated for because... It was Maureen Lippman oh, yeah. who hilariously won oh, yeah. Best Newcomer at yeah. the age of 
Welcome to Last Year Tonight with me, John Oliver. Just enough time to quickly talk about the good ones, the posh ones. Any ideas? No. This was Sally and Tim talking about the apples that Tiny was eating. Because they lost oh, Tiny. That's and right. then they found oh and then they found Tiny. And Tim wanted her to get the the posh apples. The good for, ones. Yeah. The posh the good ones, ones, the good ones. And yeah. Sally confirmed that that indeed was what she was eating. Mm. What he was eating. I was Gavin and you loved getting new furniture. Oh, this was the this was the week I got my lane test. Yes. <laughs> yes. That you ruined by putting a pair of shoes on top of. Nobody ever told me not to. <laughs> Billy remembers that he's a vicar and grasses up uh, Marley, which causes Paul to do an awful lot of storming out of things. You complain about Billy having his shirt sleeves rolled up because you didn't think it was becoming of a vicar. Mm. As a man of God, he shouldn't have his arms exposed. Yes, because they're very sexy arms. <laughs> with Steve's taxi license revoked, he embarks on a unicorn party venture with Michael and doesn't inform Tim. Mm-hmm. Mm. Irish Tina is hankering for banana, but not like that. <laughs> and Robert is more than happy to oblige, but not like that. Mm-hmm. And Michelle notices that there might be something going on between Ryan and Alia. I say that the phrase, Michelle is initially suspicious about Robert's young offender scheme more often than I care to remember. Ha ha. Remember that? Remember the whole Michelle and Robert thing? I'm trying not to. <laughs> it's like so long ago. It is. And he died at Christmas, remember? And he never had a funeral. No. <laughs> Still waiting for somebody to claim the body, I guess. <laughs> I was still doing Rana's crushed jokes. And I was still disapproving. Yep. Uh, Ryan and Alex got rashed last night. That was funny. Because mm-hmm. Ryan's really hungover and Alex is fine. Yeah. Kirk's back from his Pontins gig. Sinead is off to get her scan. Our moment of the week was uh, Sinead and Tracy's interaction. Sinead saying, when you get a guard dog, you want to get a Rottweiler when Sinead got Tracy to agree to be a godmother. And her boring moment of the week was Larry the electrician explaining to Roy about wiring. And that was Coronation Street and the talk of the street this time last year. Nice. Don't think it was the best of weeks last week. Eh. And let's mark that by carrying on. You mean last year? Last year. This week. Shall we dive in, my dear? Yes, please. Let's start with the Oliver storyline, shall we? I don't have an amusing name for that yet. And I think... We probably shouldn't have an amusing name <laughs> for I probably shouldn't, and anyway... We're probably running out of time to think of one anyway. Mm. It's early morning, and Leanne is running through the street in her housecoat with a freshly shaven Nick chasing after her. This is an important point. She bangs on Steve's door and a tired Amy opens up asking if Leanne knows what time it is. Leanne wants to know where Oliver is and Amy says he's in bed, but she promises to tell Steve to take him home when he wakes up. And Nick leads Leanne away. She seems... Mm. Kind of frantic. Rather frantic, yes. And completely different from the night before where she was like, okay, yeah, you can take him. Yeah. Later, Dr. Gadas is round at the flat wondering if Leanne might want to talk to someone about this. Nick's facial hair is well advanced, and who on earth gets a doctor to come out within an hour or two to visit your house? That typically doesn't happen. No, it's a small community, and everybody likes Dr. Gadas, the badass. They do. Dr. Gadas? The badass. Seems Nick has explained the situation from earlier. Leanne doesn't have time for counselling or sleep, 
and she doesn't want to be pumped with drugs. Leanne just wants to be left alone, and so Gaddis leaves, and Leanne tells Nick to fuck off to work. Hands him his coat. Beat it. Nick's always dressed in a shirt and a tie and a waistcoat mm. and a suit jacket at home. Mm. I, I kind of like that about him. And, and, unless he's in his PJs and a robe. Right. Of course, that was outside, that wasn't inside. Yeah, he's outside clothes. You never really see him in a t-shirt, do you? Rarely. Hmm. Hmm. Toya has heard from Nick, and so is visiting Leanne. Leanne isn't impressed by this, and then accidentally stamps on Oliver's precious red car. Which, even now, seems like a shit present. (laughs) The the, the closer you see it. one tiny wooden red car. It is wood. It's wooden. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's not even like a Hot Wheels car or anything. Or a Matchbox or a Tonka. Right. Tonka were more trucks, I think. Yes. Matchbox were cars. Yes. And and Hot Wheels. I didn't really have Hot Wheels. It was always Matchbox. Yeah. They made some good cars. Hot Wheels made those awesome tracks that you could like put like on the walls even. They do the loop-de-loops and stuff. Typical fucking Americans. Oh, would you stop? <laughs> So yeah, so she breaks a wheel off it or something, and Leanne overreacts quite dramatically to this. <laughs> and when Toya suggests counselling or group therapy, Leanne snaps, telling Toya she has no idea what Leanne is going through because Toya isn't a mother and she never will be. Which is a, a little too far, I think. Yeah, a little. It's very much too far. So later, Toya has fixed the car and Leanne apologises, but when Toya doesn't immediately accept the apology, Leanne doubles down saying that she's had to go through all the failed IVFs and surrogacy with her and all that sort of stuff, but she'll never experience grief like Leanne is experiencing and she should count herself lucky that she can't have kids. And quietly fuming, Toya leaves. And that's really harsh because, you know, you go through things like IVF and stuff, that's very traumatising. And that's like... Having, you know, a, a, a miscarriage is still a dead child, mm-hmm. you know, and going through that over and over and over again, that was really traumatic. Every time it fails, it's the death of a promise. Right. Or the death of a gift. Right. So you're, it might not be exactly the same thing. Right. Or exactly as intense. Yeah, but these are still... children that you held, but it's happened more than once. So right, and it's... it's still grief. Horrible. Yeah. Leanna's very much out of order here. Absolutely. Then there's this really weird scene where, which I was kind of hoping was going to amount to something, and then didn't. Right. Steve is lurking in the community garden and grabs Michael for a pint, but because of another storyline, Michael's been a good boy and knocks Steve back. Yeah. And that's that. Yeah, I think it's just meant to show Steve's loneliness in all of this because, you know, everybody's off. In other storylines, all of his mates are off in other storylines, so he has really nobody to, to hang on to. But this. what you should do is just get everyone and say, look, I know you guys are busy in your own storylines, but <laughs> I've got my storyline, mm-hmm. and I'm feeling, feeling a wee bit lonely and neglected mm-hmm. in my storyline, so even if you could just like come out for a pint once or twice, that would make a great... Great seriously, deal of distance. Seriously, and Tim plus, could leave Tim's fucking dad for half an hour to have a pint with Steve. And if we could all just cross over, that'll make Gav's job really, really difficult when it comes to write notes. <laughs> so, just bear it in mind. 
Because yeah, it's all about you. On Wednesday, a be- of course it's. <laughs> on Wednesday, a beardless Nick comes home. He's spoken to Toya and thinks that she was, uh, uh, Leanne was out of order with what she said. But Leanne again doubles down. She said nothing that she said was a lie. And then Imran buzzes a flat, not sounding happy. Nick wants to get this sorted out. So Imran comes up saying that Toya doesn't know he's there, but he thinks that she was out of order. Leanne says, yeah, but Toya never knows when to back off and then offers another half-hearted apology. Imran realises that he's wasting his time and goes to leave, telling Leanne that even if she thinks she doesn't need help, she absolutely does. Nick agrees and brings up the topic of a support group or therapy or something to do with families with uh, children with a terminal illness. It might help, but Leanne ignores him and goes off to check on Oliver. Now, I thought... I had zero doubts that this confrontation with Imran was going to be what reveals the whole foster parenting thing. Yeah, I thought that was going to come out as well. It's like, oh, oh, Imran's going to slip. Imran's going to slip. And it's going to make Leanne feel horrible. And it's going to ruin Imran and Toya's relationship. And that did not happen. It didn't really seem to me like an Imran thing to do, though. Because this is an argument between sisters. Right. And but you, you really, really need to be on pretty solid ground, which I think he was, but... Absolutely. Uh, to get in between that. Because that's something that Toya's probably more than capable of dealing with and expressing her disappointment and her uh, upset. Well, that's why he didn't tell her she was he was going over there. Right, so, but, I don't know, it just felt weird that... He loves her, he, and well, he, of course, he but... wants the best for her. So, it was it was a sweet it was a sweet gesture. It was pointless, but it was sweet nonetheless. I don't know. I can't I can't imagine confronting your sister about anything. <laughs> That's because you're terrified of her. <laughs> Just quite scary. Because she's very scary. <laughs> Hi, Christine. <laughs> Just don't leave me alone with her. <laughs> so she'll cut you. I don't doubt it. She's a nurse. She works with needles. So later, Nick sees Leanne filling the washing machine, claiming that she's too busy to sit down for a minute, and he demands her to stop. He's quite forceful here. She can't keep pushing people away. First Simon, then Toya, and now Nick. And she says that she's sorry for doing that. She can't look at Simon because she knows Oliver will never reach his age. She's just made of anger right now. She needs to protect her son, and she can't. And if he has to die, then she wants to die too. And Nick says that they'll get through this together, and she can't do this on her own. This is a yeah. very, very powerful scene. I Absolutely. Jane Danson was Ugh. Oh, outstanding. When she's like, I just want to die too. That's just like, oh. Mm-hmm. That just really gets down to the heart of the matter, doesn't it? Right. But I can... I can totally see it. Yep. I can totally understand. It's the end of your world. Right. How do you how do you smile after that? How do you laugh, enjoy yourself after that? Right. That's in that moment you and, can't and imagine feel, how that could possibly happen. And not feel guilty for enjoying your life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean you obviously she obviously would. Right. But, but in that moment you can't imagine. No, it just seems impossible. Ugh. I washed my hair this morning with Johnson's baby shampoo and my hair has never been softer. Never been softer. Anyway. I'm glad everyone knows that now. Well, I've just scratched the back of my head. I was, you know what? I think this is worth remarking on. Hmm. 
<clears throat> Leanne goes to the Rovers to see Simon, because that's where he lives now. And she makes amends with him. Sorry that she hurt him. She's not coping and she's a mess. And she hasn't been taken... And she hasn't been talking to people. <coughs> but she wants to do it now. She begs him to come home. She needs him. And so does Oliver. And so Simon agrees. And that's a pretty powerful scene as well. Yeah. I, I also love really love the scene with Jenny and Simon. Two characters that we never see together. You know. And how Jenny's being really supportive of Simon and also saying exactly what Nick said last week about, you know, your mum, she may not realise it, but she really needs you and she loves you and, and everything. On Friday. So Toya's walking with Imran. She really wants to help, but she's dreading it. She's concerned that Oliver might have a seizure and Imran thinks it'll be fine because what they're talking about is that Leanne has seemingly agreed to go to some kind of counsellor or whatever. Right, yeah, a, a support group. Meanwhile, Nick is trying to convince Leanne that they need help again and they, need, they still need support, but now she's not buying it. She doesn't see how talking to parents with different needs is going to help. What Oliver has is very specific. Nick says that the more support they get, the better, like Toya said, and then Leanne kind of flounces off, but she doesn't storm off this time, so that's an improvement. Later, Toya's in, and Leanne apologises properly this time. Toya is there to babysit while Nick and Leanne go to the support group until Leanne says that she doesn't want to go. Toya has looked into it and she says it's not depressing. It's got to be a wee bit depressing, hasn't it? A little bit. Well, yeah. But it's not Leanne's thing. Toya, though, has an idea. Leave it with me, she says. <laughs> and her idea is to get <laughs> Josie MacGyver. <laughs> a lovely name. Mm -hmm. She's a counsellor and she's come to see Leanne in Poison. Josie sells the group to Leanne, calling it great, and Leanne is now interested. Toya and Nick leave it to them. Josie has been running the group since she lost her uh, nine-year-old and confirms that all the people in the group are in the same boat as Leanne, and there are so many of them. Mm -hmm. And this seems to surprise Leanne. Right. Because she was thinking very, very narrowly about the fact that her son is dying from this one disease. Mm -hmm. You know, and this is a disease that not a lot of people get. So she's like, nobody can possibly know what I'm thinking. And she's she's not thinking outside the box that uh, towards the fact that children die of a lot of things. Mm -hmm. You know, so there are people who know exactly what you're feeling. They may not be, they may not know about living with this one particular disease, but they do know what it feels like to lose a child. And I right. think that kind of opens her eyes a little bit. Mm -hmm. Kind of in the same way as... Uh Gemma's eyes got opened when she went to the postnatal depression group. Mm -hmm. Even though none Just of so. those people had quads, right? In a in a like skyboat thing, <laughs> right? Little trolley on a wire for cable speed. car. Cable car. Cable car. It wasn't even really a cable car though, because it wasn't like enclosed and stuff. It was like open air and and everything. No, it was enclosed because she gave birth on the floor. And she would have rolled out if it wasn't closed. <laughs> there was windows. There was open windows because that's how yeah. Chesney lost the ring. Oh, that's right. He had to open the window to throw it out. <laughs> I don't think he did it deliberately, did he? <laughs> I can't remember. No, he didn't do it deliberately. It was like jolted out of his hand by, by Gemma moving or something and rocking the... I don't even want to think about the storyline anymore. Let's okay, just see, keep going. Can we stop talking about <laughs> the storyline that? that happened eight months ago? Oh, it was awful. <laughs> Later, it seems Josie and Leanne are getting on as Josie explains what happened with her son. 
Leanne thinks she was just counting down the days, but Josie says that that wasn't the case. See, she squeezed every last second she could out of the time that they had left, and that's how we end that storyline this week. Do you think it's realistic that a uh, the the leader of a grief support group would drop the whole group to come and talk to one woman that she doesn't know and and leave the leading of the group to one of the other parents. <laughs> well, remember, <clears throat> she's friends with Toya. Well, I suppose that makes all the difference. <laughs> I think it, it's Toya in particular. I'm sure this is other characters as well, but I think it's Toya in particular. Seems to have this weird other social life that happens right, that's never shown. She's a social worker and we never see her at work. We never see her working. We well, never see her with clients. She's working at the knicker factory now. Right. Yeah. But when she was a social worker before Gadass fired her ass. <laughs> it's a name that keeps on giving. It does. Um, We never saw her at work. The only counselling we ever saw her do was outside of work, and that's what got her into trouble. To Ali, right. Yeah. But she seems to know a, a whole host of people right. that help in very specific situations. Yes. Which is really great. Yeah. But we just never see it. No. <laughs> and you'd think one of those people would be able to help her get a job in her actual field. Yeah, but she's got so many friends in the mm. in the industry. You think... She must eventually go back to it. It's going to be like um, Aggie, you know, working at Roy's for a while, but then going back to nursing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shall we move on? From a depressing storyline about a child dying? Yes, please. Let's move on. Okay. Let's talk about uh, Evelyn and Arthur then. Oh, good. This 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 will bring us all up. This doesn't... Uh, that doesn't didn't please me as much it as it did last week. As much joy? No, not not yeah. quite as much because that whole three something uh-huh. kind of went in a different direction to <laughs> them all having sex together. Yeah, surprisingly, I'm not getting my thruple, sadly, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to ask. Who would who would be our no, third person? <laughs> I am not getting into this. <laughs> Not a chance. But it would be Chef Dan, wouldn't it? No, there will be no additional Bobby. Not in my mind anyway. On Monday. Yeah. <laughs> On Monday. Oh, I need to center. Center. Oh. We'd eat, well. We'd eat well. You'd never have to cook again. No. <laughs> On Monday, Tyrone wants Evelyn to wait in for a parcel de- delivery, but she reveals she already has plans. Evelyn's doing the ironing with the sharp end of the board to her left. Is that right? I don't think it's it... been so long since I've ironed anything. I don't think I don't think it really matters because she's she's using the. She's not using. If you're right-handed, do you want the sharp end of the board on your left or on your? I don't think it really matters, does it? I don't know. I think you probably do want it on the left. It's funny though because the scene right after that is Sally ironing. Yeah, everyone was ironing. Everybody was ironing. 
We no. never iron. You don't have to if you hang things up properly. Right, which I do. Right. Anyway. <laughs> Even as doing... Oh yeah, blah, blah, blah. Tyrone still thinks it's hilarious to wind his grand up about her relationship with Arthur and so continues to do so here. She says that they're just going for a walk with the dogs along the canal, seeing as Roy spent all of yesterday talking to Arthur about trains. Tyrone winds her up some more and then leaves, and she's clearly not enjoying this. I still find it funny. Mm-hmm. I, I find it funny that Tyrone thinks it's hilarious. This is Tyrone's prime idea of a joke. Right. Is winding his grand up about shagging Arthur. Yeah, seriously. Because I think he does it again. Says, "Oh, you remember? Bring her home at a reasonable right. time." Yeah, yeah. Being Just... pretending to be her dad. Right. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. Old people having sex is so funny. Oh, <laughs> Elon and Arthur are walking by Roy's Rolls, discussing their planned walk along the Rochdale Canal, and how there's a nice wee romantic pub there. Says Arthur. Mm-hmm. When Roy comes out and overhears and starts talking about the Everest of the canals, given that it what is the that pen- even supposed to mean? The canal crossed the Pennines, so it had to go across a hill, a, a, a mountain range. Well, same mountain, a hilly area. <laughs> he then starts talking about the lock system, and Evelyn, perhaps worried about the prospect of romance, mm-hmm. then invites Roy to join them if he's so interested. Much to everyone's surprise. Inside Roy's rolls, Arthur isn't sure the dog should be allowed, but Evelyn is keen for Roy to get his, sta- his skates on, and he's been preparing a picnic, which is delightful. It is delightful. That man would pack a picnic for his own funeral, says Evelyn. And that's true. Arthur had hoped it would just be the two of them, which Evelyn claims that she wanted that too, but the look on Roy's face was just Aww. too forlorn to ignore. So on Wednesday, they all get back to Roy's rolls after their walk. It hasn't taken that long because Evelyn insists that Cerberus's arthritis has been playing up. She takes him home and Arthur says that he'll see her tomorrow. Arthur leaves, a little crestfallen. And then Nina points out to Roy that he's crashed Evelyn's date and only invited him along, and even only invited him along because it would have been rude not to do so. Nina is very astute here. Yes. So Roy goes round to see Evelyn and he apologises for intruding on her date. She insists that that wasn't the case. She has no need to throw herself at anyone and asks him to leave. She was so much happier when she lived on her own. <laughs> that was funny. That's hilarious. Then Roy finds Evelyn at the Rovers. He's bought her a single brandy to apologise further, and Evelyn's like, "Well, you could have bought me a double bit." Well, she cools down and uh, explains how she and Arthur were a thing earlier in life. Roy mentions that Arthur speaks very highly of her, which seems to uh, give Evelyn a little bit of a boost. And this takes Evelyn back, and she says it matters little because they're both too old for this kind of nonsense. Roy says that age is irrelevant when it comes to love. And Evelyn pretends that she's not, she's still not interested and then gets Roy to get her another brandy. It's very astute from Roy, who famously has, is, is not very, has to be told by his niece that two people have affection for one another and that he's cramping their style. Well, he found love with Haley. Not late in life, but later in life. You know, he's mm-hmm. kind of middle-aged, I guess. Yes. And then there was that kind of potential fling with Cathy a couple of years back, and she ended up going with Brian. I can't imagine Roy and Cathy together. I just can't. They were pretty good. Because Cathy's just... Cathy's good. Cathy's it's, great. Cathy's, well, unless, unless you're her doesn't. best friend. Right. <laughs> Although she has come around, mm-hmm. to be fair. But yeah, I guess I guess it's a 
it's a it's a long fall from from Sean Bean. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> Although she probably dodged a bullet there. <laughs> I'm not going to quote. <laughs> All I'm saying is that Roy, I think, is speaking from some kind of experience in the matter. Back home, Evelyn is toying with the idea of phoning Arthur and is surprised when he actually answers unexpectedly. She says sorry for the service thing earlier today and then asks him out to do it again without the dogs and without Roy. Only if you want to, she says. He very much wants to and they arrange to meet up on Sunday. That's the date, she says, and then she kind of winces when at she, the word date. She said date. Right. It was cute. And who hasn't done that? I haven't. You haven't, you haven't used kind of... You don't want to be so direct. You don't want to use such direct language. And then you find yourself doing it. People say things that they regret all the time, don't they? And you cannot wince at the mm. at, at the utterance. And then you wince when you think about it later. I've got so many things that when I think about it, I just, oh, fuck, what on earth was I doing? Oh. You mean like when we were being interviewed by that professor and I totally forgot that Idris Elba was in The Wire? Or when I called... Daniel Craig, Daniel Radcliffe. Things like that, yeah. Yeah. See, I kind of feel like that's that's different from a Freudian slip, like it's a date. Oh, yeah. Hmm. Oh, yeah, we were interviewed by a professor from Drexler. Drexel University, yes. In Pennsylvania about our podcast, which was quite exciting. That yeah. happened last week. She's going to be using us in uh, her. So this is the this is the second classroom in which common language will be used. Because our friend um, Stephen Kenny yep. uses us in... Uh, or has used us. I don't, I don't yeah. think he still does it. And we haven't recorded an episode well, in so long. Yeah, we really need to get on that, do our, our last episode of the season and say this is the last episode of the season. We've been kind of giving space for other voices. <sighs> as far as, you know, the world is concerned. But Anyway. And plus, we haven't had time. So that's where we get to with that storyline... This week, this isn't about Roy and Evelyn getting together. This is about Evelyn accepting Arthur as a potential romantic partner. Which she had in her mind already, didn't she? She had to have. It feels kind of weird for this far into their fling sort of thing for for her to just now be thinking that it could be romantic and not just catching up with an old friend. They've gone out together several times. Yes. It's been well over a month since they started seeing each other. It just seems like a kind of weird... It couldn't possibly have been platonic all this time. Especially when they talked about the fact that they were dating and romantically involved and almost got married and he said that thing about the the letter that he keeps in his wallet or something. And she said, oh, you never. And, and he said, no, you're right. I just put it in today. And mm-hmm. they have a good laugh about it and everything. I I think this is a lot further along than the writers seem to think it is. They, they had a history together. That, that you're right. It's different because they're not just new to each other. No. So they've had intimacy before. Correct. So that's always going to be there. Right. You can't ignore it even after all this time. No. She's still seen his Bobby. Yes. Assumedly. So she... I mean, just because you were in a relationship 
especially at their age. Back in the day, you wouldn't necessarily have gotten it on. Uh, I suppose. Anyway. Nice to see a relationship between two older members of the the community. Yes. Happening. Very much yes. approved, even if it isn't Roy. Yeah. I do like Arthur. Yeah. He's... Arthur's nice. Got, just landed with this kind of bunch of charisma and uh-huh. and just seems... He seems very likeable. Utterly likeable by mm-hmm. everyone, so... Yeah, good yeah, stuff. Yeah, we can keep him. <laughs> On to... Uh, it's it's kind of sad that we can only have one, you know, people of a certain age relationship at a time, though. Because Ken we had, and Claudia. Yeah, Ken and Claudia are over, and so they needed to... Although I guess they, there was some overlap. And then Audrey and um, Nigel Havers. Then he died, and that's when Claudia and Ken got together. Yeah, I'm still kind of smarting about the Claudia thing. What a terrible way to write her out. Yeah. Something going on there. Mm. Anyway, on to Michael's story. Uh, I'm kind of, I'm not feeling this Michael and Grace thing at all. Well, then it's a good thing that it that it ends <laughs> oh, the way it does. That's not going to end, I don't think. Anyway, on Monday, Michael is booking a table for two for tonight, which annoys James because of that holiday thing that fell through earlier. Which still James going about- is still going on with his mates. It's just one person's not going to be there. Michael's quick to change the subject when Aggie comes into the room and Michael thinks, uh, and James thinks that Michael should come clean as it'll be better coming from him rather than Aggie finding out for herself. So later, Michael and James find Aggie in Rog's roles. Michael, after encouragement from James, confesses that he's meeting Grace later. Aggie makes it clear that she hates Grace and thinks she'll shit all over Michael and his hopes and dreams just like she's already done before. Well, in that case, says Michael, maybe I should move out. Maybe you should. Maybe you really should. Mm, seriously. Grow up. And out. I I really hate this side of Aggie. I really, really hate this side of her. More than I hate the she can't cook. Which, of course, comes back up again this, this week. Yeah, we thought we got rid of that. but was really obnoxious. But anyway, um, that the whole nobody is good enough for my son's trope it's just not befitting her i don't think i i just i hate it because she's the same way she's the same way with with james was she i thought she was quite happy when he was going to be danny albeit very briefly Mm -hmm. she doesn't seem to have a problem with that i don't think not, not with, not with, not with Danny. Well, a little bit with Danny. I, th- I think she you was think? like, oh, shoot, you know, you need to be careful and about who you date and everything. And and she was really unhappy when uh, James was using Bethany as a as a beard, briefly. With cause. Well, yeah. I think it's just Grace. No, no, because remember when Michael went on that date with Michelle, she hated that too. And she was saying like Again. stupid things like you better not get her pregnant and all this other stuff. And it's like, it's one date, Aggie. Back off. No, I think she had causing that as well. <laughs> <laughs> He's not Steve for Pete's sake. On Wednesday, Aggie and Ed are in the Rovers and Aggie's making it clear how little she trusts Grace and how she's trying to wriggle her way back into Michael's life. 
Ed points out that thanks to Grace, Michael has a proper job now and just wants to be a full-time dad, so Ed is 100% behind it. Meanwhile, Michael and Grace are at the bistro. He suggests that they try again, but she's not interested. She just wants to be friends. Just cause as a kid, it doesn't make any difference. He says he's fallen for her again, as Waitress Faye says saws quite a bit. Grace doesn't uh, see that the point. That was awful. Michael brings up how he stood up for uh, he stood up for her in front of Aggie, and this seems to trigger Grace. She can't mm-hmm. go back to that, knowing that Aggie thinks that she's a piece of shit. Right, so, and I can understand that. I think because we don't know what the history of this has been. I mean, you can imagine how <sighs> unpleasant, I guess, is the word mm-hmm. Aggie was towards Grace. Mm-hmm for this to trigger such a reaction because she's yeah all, all she really needs is to hear the word Aggie and she's right yeah she doesn't want to have to do that again no nah. that's understandable on Friday Michael tells Aggie that she got what she wanted he and Grace are never going to be together thanks to her interference before and now Michael thinks Aggie wants to control everything and everyone if it's not what she wants then it can't happen and she's really taken aback by this He's not wrong, though. Then Aggie, who doesn't work at the factory, comes into the factory and interrupts Michael on his telephone sale to give him a kiwi hummus and salami sandwich. Kirk's ears prick up at this in the background. Mm-hmm. These are three things that he likes, but maybe not together. Hmm. And maybe you make a salami sandwich, and then you pack some hummus and chips, and then you pack a couple of kiwi. Mm-hmm. So you pack all of the things that he likes... You don't just put them all in one sandwich, though. What you're forgetting, though, is it? It's Aggie, and it's hilarious that she doesn't know these things. Right. That she's an intelligent adult woman who's great at nursing, great at almost saving people's lives on the street. Well, almost, yeah. Has won awards, but she has no idea that kiwi and hummus and salami shouldn't be on the same sandwich together. That's not how you pack a lunch with somebody's favourite things. Are you not even a little tempted to make that sandwich? And no. No. And you know what? I'm the person who likes peanut butter and pickle sandwiches, so Ugh. you'd think that I would at least want to try kiwi and hummus. Kiwi and hummus might not be bad. But then with the salami, that's just... It's, that's too many different textures. I think the salami and the hummus would go. Yeah. The hummus and salami would go. The hummus and the kiwi would go. But not all three together. I think it's the kiwi and the salami that just doesn't jive. Right. In so my brain. So maybe threesomes aren't a good thing. <laughs> well, anyway. not in this case. <laughs> but what do you think of a BLT? I am not calling Dan. <laughs> BLTs are delicious. Michael wants her to leave and then loses a call. Aggie admits... Aggie admits to not being Grace's biggest fan, but all she wants is for Michael to be happy. Then Kirk interrupts and grabs a sandwich. It seems that he's missed Aggie working at Roy's. Aggie doesn't want Michael to be hurt. She wants him to be happy, but Michael says it's too late. He can't be happy. Fuck off. Yeah. Which, What's going to happen is that Aggie is going to go and see Grace and is going to apologise and is going to sing the virtues of Michael and then Grace is going to come back and, and she and really? Michael. That's what I assume is going to happen. See, I thought that this was opening a door for the eventual, and we all know it's going to happen, Michael and Alina coupling. Uh, how do I feel about that? 
Because they work together at basically the same desk. Right across from one another. They're all at the same desk. Yes. Uh, And she tells him all her problems. And he tells her all his. Yeah, that's just a friendship, isn't it? Every day. Yes, but you forget this is a soap opera. Men and women don't have friendships on this show. (laughs) Unless they're already married to somebody else. And even then. This is not real life, Gav. Right. I'm just thinking men and women can be friends. Right, which they can. Yes. In fact, for for many a year, my best friend was Angie. Right. Who you met. Yes. And never one thought of anything romantic in, in that situation. She was married and I was married. And mm-hmm. she was just my co-worker who was really, really funny. And we grew up in the same town. Right. And so she was like your work wife. Right. Yeah. And, but in a soap, that wouldn't, you're right, that yeah, wouldn't have been allowed happen. to happen. Yeah. We'd, we'd it, have to if you guys up. were in a soap, you and Aggie would be bonking in the bathroom, you know. Aggie? Your, Angie. your friend, Angie. Yes, you and Angie would have been having sex in the in the Prue bathrooms. Oh, dear. We're <laughs> up against the filing cabinet. People did that. Of course they did. People got caught in meeting rooms going at it. <laughs> That wouldn't work in the Jackson ones because the lights are motion sensitive. And also there are big, gigantic windows where you look out into the... That must be why they have that. Because like at the zone downstairs, like you can watch people having meetings. And I was like, that's got to be distracting. But it's so that people don't have sex in there. I I think it's aesthetics as well. I don't think it's just purely to stop all these... College. You think that's aesthetically? You think they care about how things look aesthetically downstairs in the zone where that the was, basement is cement and where you look above and there's pipes and wires? That's and all stuff? deliberate. That's all deliberate. The it's guy who designed it AF. walked us through it just before it opened, and all of it is designed to be attractive to uh, college kids. I don't because think that's, that's attractive. That's to college pretty much kids. who works there. I don't think the industrial. Depressing look with no windows. That's what they've gone. That's what they're going for. Where if there's an earthquake, everybody there is going to die because cement is going to flatten them. Right. It's a good thing we don't have very many earthquakes in Michigan. That's maybe why that wasn't taken into consideration when they were Yet. designing the place. Oh, right. It's 2020. It's 2020. Anything possible can happen. All right. So uh, that's what I think about that. Uh, I don't think I like Grace. And I hope that they don't get back together. I don't think we're meant to like Grace. I think it's very deliberate that Grace is written in a way that makes her unpalatable. Yep, she's a a very unsympathetic character. Because from the very beginning, she was unsympathetic. And she seems flighty. She's, She's apt to change her mind quite a bit. Well, I think she's in a very difficult situation where she's had this child... She's been the only one responsible for the first year or so of her life. And now Michael's come in and she, I think she genuinely wants him to have a relationship, but I think she's also a little bit terrified of all of this. And so, you know, she doesn't know what to think or what to do. Mm. And I think that's very realistic. Right. But I think the way in which it is written and the way we are already on Michael's side because Michael is our main character here. 
and we feel sympathy for Michael because he didn't even know he had a child for the first like year and a half of her life. And it was only by happy accident because James had sex with that guy. You know what my real problem with this whole thing is? What? I'm still waiting for the Baileys to be given a really good storyline. You didn't think uh, Ed's um, gambling was a good storyline or the racism. Remember the racism, which was... Those two episodes? Which was solved in like a week. Yeah, so that's not... Doesn't really qualify as a Mm. great storyline. James coming out? Again, it, it, it feels bad, like was it, it? again. It feels like he finally came out, and now everything's good again, and we don't have to talk about it and anymore. It's never going to affect his life again. And never going to continually forget that he's gay because nobody's mentioning that, and he's not going out with anybody. Right. And then I'm still waiting for James and Craig to get together. Fingers crossed. You're determined to make that boy gay. <laughs> He's not gay. Wouldn't that be nice? I think they would be really good for each other. They'd have somebody to run with. I don't know. A really hot-blooded male like Craig. Really? You think Craig is a hot-blooded male? With all that testosterone. Also, also, hello. I know lots of gay men who are very testosterone-y and hot-blooded. As hot-blooded though as Craig... More hot-blooded than Craig. I find that very hard to believe. You know when he had his his thing with Kayla? Remember Kayla? There's some very, very masculine bears out there. Kayla and Bethany. And I think that's it. You know. Where they were really just friends. Craig's not gay. (laughs) Let's move on. Says you. This stupid we've seen that I'm not even going to give it a name. It was just in the pub on Monday. Carla takes a call from Johnny and is shocked when Jenny shows no desire to speak to him and is obviously pissed off at him. Carla says that she'll tell him that Jenny will call back and that was all that happened in that. Yeah, I think that was just to give a segue for Jenny to walk into the back and have her conversation with Simon. Probably. That's that's all that was. On to the ginger villain. <laughs> on Friday, in Roy's roles, Nina is sketching Adam. He thinks that she's infringing his image rights and she calls it affectionate narcissist. Then Adam gets a call from Laura the Chin who wants to talk legal matters. She needs more money more regularly and they arrange to meet. Later at the furniture thing, Gary pays Fizz who goes off for a long lunch. Take your time, he says, as Laura comes in. She makes it clear that if she doesn't start getting some regular money from Rick the Chin, she's going to go to the police and explain that Gary is the one with the hotline to him. Get the money in at the safety deposit pronto. You've got 24 hours. And he tries to play the hard man, but she completely steamrolls him. Hmm. Give me my fucking money. Hmm. You prick. Hmm. Or she's going to the police because he's the only one who seems to know where Rick is. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Later, Gary gives Fizz a hard time for coming back late from, ro- from lunch. She's not having any of it. She's another one that stands up to him. Yeah, and leaves- you said long. And leaves to get them both some cooling down coffees. Then Gary pulls out his Underworld contract. Has a little look at that. And that's as far as we get with that this week. I presume he spaffed all this money that he stole from Rick. Mm-hmm. That furniture thing isn't making no. anything like the money that he needs. Especially since he's now paying Fizz as well. And has a fancy flat 
with Maria. Mm-hmm. So now he's looking at the Underworld contract. Is he going to sell Underworld, do you think? Maybe. Which is funny because nobody knows he owns Underworld yet, do they? Yeah. Nick and Carla know. Do they? Yeah, because they pay him rent. Oh, that's right, because they, they know that... Well, Carla doesn't, because Carla gave ownership over to the over to the workers. Carla's th- a communist. Yeah. Th- <laughs> <laughs> the workers own the means of production, yes. Yes. The workers now do own half of the means of production. <laughs> right. No, she knows, though. Because yeah. she and Nick had an argument with Gary about it at the time in the street, as you do. Right, after that other guy that he was pretending Derek. owned it. Derek, yeah. R.I.P. He didn't get a funeral either, but that's fine. That's fine, because he was a bad guy. Yep. Only, was he really a bad guy, or was he an alcoholic who was misled by Gary? <laughs> the down a, the down latter. a dark, dangerous trail. Yeah. Gary is totally responsible for his death, too. Gary has literally killed three people now. Killed Derek. Well, and he had a chance to save Derek and didn't. And didn't, yeah. Killed Rana. R.I.P. And killed Rick Still crushed about that. And Would you stop? <laughs> killed Rick the Chin. Yes. And he will kill again. He will. Now he's it's, got a taste it's, for it. It's, it's awful that only one of those three deaths was really directly intentionally killing. He's like the worst villain ever. It's, it's, it makes no sense. Murderer. It makes no sense that Gary has killed three people and Tim's dad hasn't killed anyone yet. And yet Tim's dad is by far the greater villain. Oh, far worse. <laughs> far worse. Because Gary still plays on our sympathies a little bit by by seemingly trying to do the right thing every once in a while. At least he's not creeping on Kelly this week. But Let's be thankful my, for here's, that. Here's my question. Ray Weinstein... Owns the furniture shop now. Remember? Ray Wein- Nobody seems to remember that Ray Weinstein owes Kev's shop and the furniture shop. He owns the, that property now. And Kev has to pay rent to him. Does that mean that Gary also has to pay rent to him? And whatever happened with that? Because that happened and then nothing ever happened about it afterwards. Well, a car blew up. Well, that's why he owns it. It's because Abby blew up his car. Abby oh, blew right, up his that car. Happened after it, because yeah, that's why. And so Ray blackmailed Kev into signing into selling him, basically at cost, the the mechanic shop, which also included the furniture shop, because that's like the back of that. I don't know if they ever brought that. I don't think light. anybody has ever brought that back up again. No. I don't think there's been any sort of consequence. Timbot4000 says this does not compute. Absolutely. <laughs> Our penultimate storyline today is Twins Down Under. <laughs> On Friday, Abby and Kev are leaving Roy's Rolls. She's been hanging out with Jack a lot, it seems, and the two of them have been getting on famously. They're playing video games. Yes. At the garage... Oh, sorry. At the garage... Kev announces that he's had a breakdown. Not not that he's had a breakdown, but he's had a call about a breakdown. Someone called Damon Bolter or something. Mm-hmm. 
Kev wants Abby to take it, but she insists that she's in the middle of something and gets Kev to go instead. So Kev goes to the, the breakdown point in the car park. The guy with an awful Essex accent thinks that it's a clutch, and Kev agrees. A wee girl with a kangaroo appears out of the back seat and announces that they're all moving to Australia. How exciting. Uh, the guy wanted the car to get valid before they, they sell it and then move, and Kev confirms that, yep, it is a clutch and he's going to need to take it to the garage to get it fixed. Back at the garage, Kev wants to know why Abby pulled out the breakdown and Abby admits that she thinks that the guy is the guy who adopted her kids. Oh, those are her kids. With a kangaroo. Yep. And they're going to Australia. Yeah. They're immigrating to Australia. Right before the coronavirus, which is smart. Mm-hmm. Because Australia has done a much better job. Than... Very difficult to get into Australia. Very difficult. Is it? Mm-hmm. It's almost impossible. Really? I couldn't immigrate to Australia. Really? Yep. What, what, no chance. What is required? Oh, you, you have to be... Well, you can do it through marriage. Mm-hmm. Or you have to have uh, a certain amount of points. And you get points for things like what profession you have and what skills you have and what education you have. And the skills are very specific. It's high-end skill, skills that are required. So, mm-hmm. like doctors and... Uh, really uh, highly technical people and folks like that. If you don't have any skills like that, you've got no chance. Interesting. No, no chance. Interesting, because remember, Emma's mother immigrated to Australia. Mm-hmm. Maybe it was easier back then. Maybe. Uh, uh, generally, it's funny because immigrating anywhere is nigh on impossible. Well, yes. Yes, especially now. But it's funny because initially it was very easy to emigrate to Australia, all you had to do was commit a crime. Oh. Back when it was... A... <laughs> Even the cat thought that joke was terrible. <laughs> the cat thought that was a horrible joke. But, you know, when it was a prisoner's oh, colony and stuff. When my family moved out, uh, my Uncle Sammy's brother mm-hmm. and my cousin David. Yes. Who has since moved all over the world. Yeah. I think you had to pay five pounds, <laughs> and that was it, because they wanted people to move. They wanted it to become populated and stuff. Right, so it was yeah. very easy. Yeah. At that point, but yeah, David's lived in Australia, America, California, New York, Colorado Springs. I didn't know about Colorado. Uh, Hong Kong. Ireland. That's where they're now. Chile. And in Ireland, Northern Ireland. What offensive thing were you you're about to say? <laughs> I'm not going to say it. <laughs> Go on, I'll cut it out. I was going to say it's almost as if... I'm so glad you're cutting all of that out. So, I can't remember now if we've talked about the storyline enough or... <laughs> what storyline? Oh, the, uh, the twins. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because Kev, uh, before he knew that those were Abby's kids, said to the guy, bring it in so I can fix it. So 
Abby's going to see these kids and she's going to find out that they're immigrating to Australia. Well, he had to take it because it wouldn't go. That's, that's the whole point. Right. So he had to tow it in. Right. So, yeah, so he's going to meet So Abby. Abby's going to see those kids again. Oh, and Seb's going to see those kids again. Remember how insufferable Seb was about those kids? <laughs> yeah. Remember We've finally when, gotten him off of that. Remember when he wanted to adopt them? Oh, dear. Yeah. Yeah. Our final storyline tonight, today. This morning. Whatever. Is it morning? No, 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 it's after... Nope, still morning. Nope, still morning. 11.15. Tim's fucking dad. Uh, fuck him. On Monday. Kathy fuck Br- him with a brick. Oh, a violent image that is. Good. <laughs> Kathy is round at Sally's. Sally's doing the ironing with a thin end of the board to her left. <laughs> so she's like the mirror image of Evelyn. Evelyn. Did she see Tim's dad coming out of Yasmin's last night? Sally confirms that yes, she did chuck him out, but it, uh, but she's cautious not to declare herself Team Yasmin quite yet. Then Kathy tells Sally of that time that Tim's dad locked Yasmin in the box, which apparently Sally wasn't aware of. He left her there for hours, which gives Sally pause. I saw some comments. Uh, I think it was, I think it was maybe our friend Scott mm-hmm. that he's always amazed that no one. That, or everyone can say that time that Tim's dad locked Yasmin in the box with a straight face because it's quite a ridiculous sentence when you think about it. It's also horrifying. <laughs> well, yes. It's like being buried alive almost because Yasmin didn't know when he was going to come back. Mm-hmm. Psychologically very damaging. Yeah. I think that was really when things started to spiral a lot faster right. with her psyche. In Roy's roles, Kathy tells Brian that Sally has chucked Tim's dad out and is Team Yasmin, which Sally quite clearly said that she wasn't quite yet. Mm-hmm. Brian is still unconvinced and thinks that Yasmin can stick up for herself. What does a victim look like to you? asks Kathy. Then Amy comes a in. Good question by Kathy. And Kathy starts stage whispering about the box thing and how there's something that's just not right with that man. Now Alia is round at Sally's inquiring after Tim's dad's living arrangements and Sally says that she asked him to move out. Alia wonders if Sally might consider being a witness for the defence and Sally says she would if she wanted to break up with Tim. But, but she does have some sympathy for Yasmin and would like to help. Now, now I, Tim is still kind of in the doghouse for the whole bigamy thing. So... Oh, I think we've kind of forgotten about that again, haven't we? <laughs> Only we haven't because, you know, Tim's dad... Stole money from Yasmin to pay for Tim and Sally's rewedding thing. Mm-hmm. So we haven't fully forgotten about that. So I don't think Tim would be that quick to kick Sally to the curb over this. No, nor has he. No. Alia points out that Sally was there with Yasmin in the pub the night it all happened. Maybe she saw or heard something that would be useful. Alia really wants to give Yasmin some good news because she's really struggling. Sally will think about it, but then calls Alia back as she's about to leave. And the scene that we don't see is where Sally asks Alia if she can go see Yasmin. Mm-hmm. Because that's what she does. She's in prison. <laughs> this is f- I love a, this. Such a lovely little nod. To the fact that Sally's been there. It was brilliant. Yeah, she's I in really the prison, liked that. That was funny. Yasmin, and she's chatting with the guards like they're old friends. Have right. You, have you got your extension belt yet? Right. How's How your are wife? the kids? Right. <laughs> I loved that. I really did. Because that's such a Sally thing. Oh, uh-huh. it was wonderful. It was really, really good. She quizzes one of the guards about uh, her kitten. I've just said that. Lovely stuff. Sally asks Yasmin about what happened with the box. 
Yasmin doesn't feel like she should speak ill of Tim's dad. He only did what he did because he loved her. Then why Ugh. plead not guilty, says Sally. Deep down, she knows that she isn't responsible. Sally wants to help, but she can't unless she tells the truth. Yasmin admits that she couldn't take it anymore, and there were lots of... There was lots more to it than escorts and boxes. Yasmin was scared for what Tim's dad would do next. Mm-hmm. So Yasmin explains about the Red Crosses, lending the money to Sam and Sam, to Sally and Tim, taking the bank cards, putting insurance into his name. Sally didn't think Yasmin was herself that night. Yasmin says that Tim's dad had burnt all her clothes and made her wear that dress. I forgot about that. Mm-hmm. And because Sally, she was, he was afraid that... She was going to leave. Right. Sally apologises and thanks Tim's and dad. And Sally says, so that's what he was burning that night. Because Sally saw him burning those clothes. Yeah, that was the night that she so said that was, Tim's dad. Yeah, so that's... If you weren't Tim's dad. So that's really important that, mm-hmm. that this is something that coincides with something Sally has actually seen herself. Right, and remarked upon. Sally apologises and thanks Tim's dad should be locked up. But Yasmin still thinks that she's getting what she deserved. Tim's dad is a good man. He's never hit her. And Sally calls this a low bar. Tim's going to be heartbroken. And Yasmin doesn't want Sally to tell Tim. Correct. But Sally has to. Yeah. Kathy has learned of Sally visiting Yasmin and is chatting with Alia about it, who tells Kathy basically it isn't complicated. If she wants to go and visit Yasmin herself, she's more than capable of doing so. Yeah, absolutely. On the street, Sally apologises to Alia for not noticing anything sooner. The two of them hug, which is seen by Faye and Tim's dad. Hmm. So Tim's dad goes round to see what Alia has been uh, saying to Sally. Mind your own fucking beeswax, says Sally. Tim's dad is upset that he can't get a civil word out of her these days. He's only ever tried to be nice to her. Sally wants him to leave, but then he casts up the wedding money that Sally points out wasn't his to give away. He thinks this is coming from Alia, but Sally reveals that she had... She heard it straight from Yasmin, which knocks the wind out of Tim's dad's sails. Absolutely. He starts to shout, and Sally repeats her demand for him to leave before she calls the police. Tim's dad yells that he has a right to know what they discussed, as uh, she's his wife. And at this, Tim wanders in and is curious as to why Tim's dad is shouting at Sally and why Sally is looking so scared. So on Wednesday, Sally's relieved that Tim's there, and Tim is like, who the fuck do you think you're talking to, Tim's dad? And Tim's dad tries to use all the usual, oh, she's filling your head with muck and explains that Sally went to see Yasmin in jail, but Tim's not having it. Fuck off, Tim's dad, he says. <laughs> Later, if Sally thinks Tim is on side, she's in for a surprise. I really want to hear Tim say, fuck off, Tim's dad. <laughs> I really want to hear that that being done. Mm-hmm. Maybe if we just... We sent, could probably splice. We could maybe give Tim, like, 50 bucks and maybe just get him to record it. That'd be worth fifty bucks, right? I I know a, I know um a couple of them do that thing where you can pay them to record uh, a birthday greeting. Uh-huh. I wonder if Joe mm. Dutton does that. Mm. I'd definitely throw fifty bucks at that. Mm. Mm. Hello, Gavin and Helen. Fuck off, Tim's dad. <laughs> Maybe if we got them a really great wedding present. <laughs> so Sally explains about the box address, the crosses, the bank cards, but Tim won't hear it. He thinks this is all made up by Yasmin to get off of this attempted murder charge. Meanwhile, Tim's dad is home sighing a lot, upset that he appears to be losing control of the situation. He gets on his laptop and goes on a site to email a prisoner, which I didn't realise was a thing, but it absolutely is. Absolutely. Faye meets Tim in the community garden and he admits to being concerned for Tim's dad and Faye thinks Tim's dad is the best. 
Tim reminisces about holidays. Used to slip him money, her money. Tim reminisces about holidays with Tim's dad, and they always felt protected. Tim's dad is lovely, says Tim. Yasmin is calling Alia from prison. <sighs> she's happy that Sally believes her, and she got a job in the library now, and she's overheard, but she's overheard that Tim's dad has emailed a request to see her. Alia says that she can't let that happen, and while Yasmin agrees with her words, she doesn't with her face. No, she agrees a little bit with her face, because she looks terrified by the prospect. Well, maybe. Tim's dad is eating a fancy tea with a bottle of plonk when he hears a notification from his laptop. He goes over to see it, and it's a message from HMP Norcross to Tim's dad at <clears throat> vogel.co.uk, saying that as there are ongoing investigations, he can get to fuck if he thinks he's visiting Yasmin. Kind, reg- kind regards, HMP Norcross. Tim's dad slams the lo- laptop shut in anger and throws his plate of food across the kitchen. Looked pretty nice as well. Mm. On Friday, Sally's on the street explaining about how angry Tim's dad was earlier. Alias wants to tell Imran and thinks this is Tim's dad all over and explains that he's even tried to arrange a visit with Yasmin, which Imran has confirmed is impossible. And Tim's dad watches on from his window. Then Tim goes round to see Tim's dad. He wants him to speak better to Sally in future. He's on his side, after all. And Tim's dad thinks everyone believes Alia's lies when he is the wronged party. Why would Sally fall for this? Tim tells Tim's dad to focus on getting better, and Tim's dad announces that he's going back to work. Mm. So Sally gets home, and Tim immediately wants to talk about the speed dial thing. He wants to give Tim's dad moral support, so he's going to go along with him. Sally thinks that this is provocative and tells Tim that he visited, he asked to visit Yasmin, which is news to Tim. This yeah, Tim's like, t- he never back. did that. Why would he do that? Right. But he did do that. Very much so. Then later, Tim's back at Tim's dad's trying to talk him about going back to work and then challenges him on his attempted visit to Yasmin. And Tim's dad says he loves her and misses her and he was jealous of Sally. Tim's dad now wants Tim to stay away from Speedal. He doesn't want Alia to feel ganged up on. But what he really doesn't want to see is Tim da- Tim's dad being a prick to Alia. Right, and steal something from her. Right. So Tim's dad turns up to work, and instantly he, Ryan, and Tim's dad get into an argument. Tim's dad insists that he's the victim here. Alia doesn't think that her tiny grand can be the bad guy, and Ryan asks Tim's dad to leave, but he refuses, and he says... Are you threatening me, big man, or something like that? Yeah. Like he's challenging Ryan to a fight, which would just be utter carnage. Even Ryan could it, kick it, fuck out of Tim's dad. Probably. I, I mean, Ryan can't really kick the fuck out of anybody. No. But probably Tim's dad. Right. He has a right to be here, he says. Well, says Alia, I ain't working with you. On their way out, Tyrone and Fizz give Tim's dad their support. They've kind of overheard some of this. Tyrone knows what it's like after he got abused by uh, his ex-wife. Tyrone offers his ear if Tim's dad ever wants to talk. I'm kind of of upset that Fizz and Tyrone are falling for this push. Yeah, but I can also understand... Oh yeah, it makes sense. I I can understand that they would be the two that would because because he has actually gone through this. But for reals. But for reals, yes. Then Tim's dad goes on uh, to goad Alia and Ryan further, but then Alia turns it around. Jasmine's now... Uh, working in the prison library, she says. It's amazing the confidence that she's got now that she's away from you. And Ryan wants Tim's dad to leave, but Tim's dad says he's going nowhere. Later, Tim's dad is hiding behind a pillar as he listens to Imran give Alia advice, and Alia explains that Yasmin is due to call her at 3.30. Then later still, after Tim's dad leaves to go on a break, Alia realises that her phone has gone missing. 
why anybody would not keep their phone on the, their person at all times on the street just blows my mind. Nobody interacts with a phone in the way that people actually interact with a phone. Right, yeah. Nobody just leaves their phone lying around. If you don't know where your phone is for a second, yeah, like you don't feel it in your pocket, like, where the fuck's my phone? It's like, yeah. where, where's my keys? Where's my wallet? Right. It's you an extension of your it. person. Right, you don't just leave it lying about. And, I mean, especially for people, for, I mean, I can kind of understand if Ken left his phone somewhere, or Evelyn left her phone somewhere. But Alia, it's just like with, right. uh, you know, Asha's horrible storyline, and them leave, her leaving her phone, just lying about, or, or no, it was Corey who left his phone. ITV Corey. Yeah, yeah. ITV Corey. Left his phone out for um, Kelly, the chin, to pick up and and do all those horrible things. No child that age is ever without their phone. I am sorry. This show really does not understand how people use phones. And I don't know if it's just me. And it probably is because I'm quite anal that way. Yes, you are. My phone is never below 20% charge. I never run it. Never, I, I won't let it. If it's below twenty percent, and then must go on a charger. You're like that with the cars as well, with with gas. You really, you really are OCD about these things. Yeah, because I'm constantly wonder, worrying about running out of gas. Yeah, it's, it's never in the red. Right. You're also like this with celery. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fucking sorry that I bought too much celery this week. <laughs> You want to do all the dirty laundry in public? <laughs> now, if Chef Dad were here, right. he'd be able to... <laughs> <laughs> it's a good thing he doesn't listen to this. Yeah, there's no chance. <laughs> he actually even glazes over when I talk about anything to do with podcasting. He's just no interest whatsoever. <laughs> all he wants to do is, is cook and play me at pool. That's right. all they want. And, and talk about how flat the earth is. Right. <laughs> Which is why it would never work out. <laughs> yes, that's the reason it's never going to work out. In jail. This is a very, very confusing episode. I'm, I'm so glad we're nearly done. In jail, Yasmin calls Alia, but it's Tim's dad who answers because he's stolen her phone. Hello, Yasmin, he says. He says he borrowed her phone... He borrowed her phone mm-hmm. to talk to her, and he says that he misses her, and he has a proposition for her, and that is how we end. And this. Yasmin is absolutely terrified. Like, what? What have you done with Alia? Right. Because she knows better. And that's how we end this week's episodes. And that is so fucking stupid. It's so fucking stupid, you know. Because does the show not realize? Or is it just Tim's dad who doesn't realize and the show will reveal next week? Prisons record all of those telephone conversations. You have no privacy in prison. No. All of those telephone calls are recorded. And we brought this so, up the last time this happened, I think. And the show recognized it. Yeah. So, yeah, was it was it David having a telephone conversation? They were like, this is ridiculous because they, they're hearing all of this. I think it might have been, yeah. Yeah. But so, then, they, but then they they brought it up like mm-hmm. an episode or two down the line, or or it was announced that the mm-hmm. the prison had a recording of that conversation or whatever. So is this is this Tim's dad's downfall? 
making this proposition to Yasmin, admitting fault on this, essentially admitting fault on this phone call, um, that Yasmin is not the horrible person he makes her out to be by giving her a proposition. Well, uh, well, let's talk what we think about the, what the proposition is, which I assume is, I'm going to drop the charges if you come back to me. Right. Yeah. Which I, I don't think is his gift. Because it's not him that's prosecuting Yasmin. No. It's the Crown. Right. So the CPS, the Crown Prosecution mm-hmm. something. Yeah. Wouldn't it be funny if the S did stand for something? <laughs> it's them that are, who think that they have a case. Right. And and are charging Yasmin and, and think that they have enough right. to, to um, prosecute. Right. So I don't think Tim's dad has the power to drop no. anything. No. And all of this is being recorded. <laughs> right. Uh, prisoners have no privacy. None. Whatsoever. Right. It was funny. Uh, I, I, I'm one of the, uh, you know, resellers, Facebook pages that I belong to. Somebody posted about some woman who got mad because she bought a pink Ralph Lauren shirt for her husband who was in prison and got mad that it wasn't delivered. And it's like, how stupid are you? That you think that you could do that because he can he. <laughs> it used to be you could send books like from Amazon to a prisoner, but I don't think you can even do that anymore. I, it's People just have no concept of how horrible prison is. Mm-hmm. It just blows my mind. And this is so irresponsible if this is not addressed and discovered. I'm I'm sure it will be. I hope so. Because I was so mad at that. I was so mad at that. It's like, how... And already, it's obvious that Tim's dad is really stupid and naive when it comes to this because of the fact that he tried to visit her. That he, that he put in a request and genuinely seemed to think that it would be allowed. Right, because that is now a matter of record. That he tried to see her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So something that might be useful this is an un- a trial. Right. This is an un... It, and it's just the mask is slipping here, you know, because he's he's been able to control the narrative so much. And now he's completely out of control of the narrative, mm-hmm. which, I mean, he's known. It's becoming more obvious, but he's known ever, ever since the whole cutting happened that's why he went and deleted all of that stuff because not only does the the video show him in a negative light it also destroys the narrative and you know he didn't want yasmin to go to jail he wanted to forgive her because he wanted to be able to continue to control the narrative mm-hmm. i still think that that uh that footage has got to come up at some point it, it, because why have it? Right. Other than letting Tim's dad watch what's going on in the house. Right. Is that enough? The fact that he's recording it. Because you can watch it without recording it. The fact that he's recording it. Right. And there are files. Right. That, and he only that it doesn't deleted... look like he properly deleted. No. And he only deleted 
a small chunk of it. Right. There's other, there are other files with other things, bad things he did to her mm-hmm. and to other people. I am Timbot4000. Tim's fucking dad can go and fling shite at himself. Mm-hmm. That's true. I, I suppose I suppose what Timbot is trying to say is that I think we've talked about the storyline enough. It's infuriating and we hate it. And uh, uh, we hate Tim's fucking dad. I think, yeah, Timbot4000 uh, has really succinctly... Uh, Wrapped it all up in, in one... Summar- some summarized what we've been saying for the last 15 minutes. Or a perfect summary. Yep. Well done, Timbot. Your moment of the week. Um, Leanne. I kind of thought when I took that snapshot, I may as well just call this right now that that's the moment of the week. Yeah, with with her saying, you know, I, I cannot go on living. If my son dies, I want to die too. Right. It's it's not a happy moment of the week, but it's very powerful. And, my God, how powerful and was it? I, I just, I can't, I can't see giving... Goosebumps. Something that brought me literally, joy. Literally goosebumps. Which she did such a good job. Mm-hmm. She act, she was chewing the scenery. I don't know if that's a good thing or not. I think it is. It, 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 she she had command of that whole scene that was it was hers. I've never worked out if chewing the scenery is a is a positive or negative thing. I think Mark it, Kermode says it quite a lot I think about people like Anthony Hopkins. Who's a brilliant actor. Right, I guess so. And and people say that a lot about Meryl Streep, who is an excellent actor. Right. So. There was a funniest thing that happened, and I think it was, uh, I think it was Sally. Yeah. Yeah, if we, if, if, that, that, if, if I wanted to give it to, like, something happy, it would be Sally catching up with the prison guards. Oh yeah, that was just that was so great. Good. That was great. It was it was the perfect little detail mm-hmm. to just break up a pretty horrible storyline. Yeah, that, that was... and it was such a Sally thing to do. It was just you know because sometimes they make these characters do things that you're like, that is so out of character and weird, and I don't know why they made them do that. Mm-hmm. But then. This just captures Sally's personality so a well. Perfect, a little perfect moment for that. Not but only, you weren't expecting it. Not only that she remembers these people's names. <laughs> she remembers but that their lives. She's, she remembers their lives. She remembers their, you know, them talking about their children. She's had conversations with them about their children and about their home improvement projects and, and things like that. <laughs> you know, and she's totally the type of person who would go to prison and make friends with all of the guards right. about about their children and stuff. Yeah, she'd be a great prisoner to have mm-hmm. looking after. You become friends with her. Sort right. Of thing. So that's a kind of um, a, a, a commended secondary moment of the week. But right. her moment of the week is uh, Leanne and her uh, are breaking down in front of Nick. Nick. That's her moment of the week. Moment of the week. Your boring moment of the week. That's really got to be right. that little Jenny thing, isn't it? Oh, yes. Jenny not wanting to talk to Johnny. Yes, absolutely. That's Johnny it. calling Carla and Jenny not wanting to talk to Johnny. That's absolutely our boring moment of the week. Boring moment of the week. Boring moment <laughs> of the week. Shall we wrap this one yes, up Yes, please. I did our outro this I do this need thing. to call Dan now. <laughs>
If you've ever suspected that your partner is <laughs> contemplating an affair with one of your best friends, give us a call about it or email us. We are the talk of the street at gmail.com on email, which is also our address for voicemail it's on Skype. It's not an affair, it's a thruple. You would get something out of this. <laughs> We'd get nothing out of that. Or if you want to drop a couple of nuggets into a virtual tip jar on PayPal, we're at Corey Podcast on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for making it to the end of another episode. I haven't been happier to be at the end of another episode. We'll be back next week with more Talk, Talk on the, the street. street. Cheerio. Bye.